and welcome to the Greater Than Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have already overcome them, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Join us as we have different guests and topics that address what's going on in our world and culture from a biblical perspective to find and remind ourselves that greater is he on the inside of us than he that is in the world. I didn't even see, you know, so that was the first thing, and I'm like, you know, I can't write a note. I'm like, I'm watching the whole thing, and I'm like, okay. Then, I think she, she hits every pothole. I think she's like, annoyed with me, like, I'm not gonna let him take notes. I think she hit every pothole of every construction place coming down Roswell or whatever Piedmont or whatever roads were hitting, and it's like, boom, okay, that's not a note, boom. I'm like, hey, you want to let me take some notes here or not? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's why I was on the, seriously, the, that's why I was taking, taking all those notes. Because she wouldn't let me do it in the car. It's all right. How was this morning, though? Yeah? That's a hard act to follow. Especially, like, her, her first time, like, just grabbing and going. Um, I want to give honor where honor's due. Uh, Pastor William and Gloria, thank you for doing this, you know, and um, it's, it's just amazing, the connections. And um, then I also, these guys, Micah and Ben and just some of the other guys that aren't here anymore, but I, I especially want to say this to Elijah. Just want to honor you. To everybody that's here, everybody that's watching. Uh, I've told you this before. It, you uh, are beyond your years. I forget that you're 26 years old because of your zeal and your consistency to do what the Lord's called you to do. And I know that you and I have talked you know, over the last couple of years that we've got to meet each other and we've had some similar experiences as kids, just, you know, knowing God has something for us to do. And uh, it's an honor to see what you're doing, not just for you. Beyond you, kingdom, seeing the different gifts, connecting people. I mean, how many, how many different people have you had on your, your podcast? How many different ministries do you think? Over 40. Over 40. Yeah, easily, right? I mean, that's you. That's kingdom building. Yet you're a builder. Most people, they don't think about that. That's like an old school mentality. That's part of the remnant. That's where we're at. That's general stuff. Just keep, keep it up, man. Appreciate you a, a ton. You're, you're doing a bunch because it's, it's going out to all these different states. This like-mindedness is what we need. So, man, we, we love you. And if you're watching online, good ground to sow into is Merle Ministries International. I'll tell you this, too. Uh, 
after we had started the ministry, the Lord dealt with me to partner with him. Um, it was at the beginning, I think, of 2020. And so Courtney and I started, I got on and I was just going to give monthly. And I never saved my cards. And I didn't have any, we didn't have any um, reoccurring givers yet. And um, as I'm getting ready to just put it in as a one time and go back monthly, it was a faith move. And the Lord just prompted my heart. He said, don't you want reoccurring givers? Because there was a choice. Do you want this to be a reoccurring give, uh, giving? And I usually, like, no, I'm going to give to them every month, you know. It's like a control thing, right? And the Lord's just saying, have faith. It'll be there. Let me, let me help you. Uh, so I said, yes, I do, Lord. I want reoccurring givers. So I clicked that button. And uh, right after, within the next week of sowing into this young man right here, we had two reoccurring givers that what doubled what we got per month at that time. Yeah. So uh, you're good ground, brother. You're, you're a kingdom builder. And um, I know that you honor those that, that have um, allowed you to develop. You, you're always so honorable. And you're bold, and I like it. You're not afraid to say stuff. I love it. You're beyond your years. And so I love you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, um, now that that bromance has died down a little bit. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while, bromance. Uh, <laughs> Um, man, I, I want to, uh, seems like when I come here, I'm like, I, I just want to teach on this. And then there's like a charge that I have to speak on something that's like, uh, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but, uh, I learned so much in the last probably year that I'm like, I, I don't tend to pay much attention to what others are doing anymore for probably the last four or five years, especially in the last two and a half years. Just stop watching what other ministries are doing and just be in the word. Now, some people would be like, well, that's stupid because, you know, you should see what other people are doing. So, so I'm not saying that everybody should do this. I'm saying for me, the Lord said, stop watching what other people are doing, and I want you to get in the word and just be with me. And I know why he did that for me, twofold. Number one, I might want to do what they want to do, or number two, I might want to tell them how stupid they are. <laughs> I don't get what a lot of people, but I've learned, like, hey, I've also learned, like, <laughs> that's not for me to do anyway. And during this process, it's been a maturing process, and there's been increase on the anointing that God has placed on, on Courtney and I and, and, and the ministry. We've seen, uh, we've seen increase in a ton of different areas. And so that's been for us. But I will say this. Um, of the people that I'm around and, and, and just 
some new people, ministries that I've gotten to know, I've started to hear certain terms, and I'm not caught up with them, so I'm like, well, what, what, what is that? So I'll get like a breakdown. And one of the terms is um, a minister that I know was a part of this and kind of came out of it. Has very similar roots to ours. And uh, just an awesome, awesome guy. He's real smart. I, when I'm talking to him, I'm like, remind me again what, what that means? Like, I, I should know what it means because it's like a seminary church term. And I'm like, uh, to remind me of that. And, um, but there's this, this church growth thing that I've, that I've heard of. I, I couldn't tell you the organization's names or anything. But I looked up. He told me some things about it because he was a part of it. And he said I had to come out of it. Okay. Um, and I know that he didn't tell me a ton because he was guarding my heart. He, he, he's a mature believer. And, uh, but I looked it up. So, listen, this is good news. I'm, gonna, I'm preaching the gospel. Sometimes we have to look at things like, hmm, why does this stuff seem to be reoccurring? Is it the age that we're in? Is this, well, yeah. Jesus warned us about the end times and how things were going to progress in the darkness, but also how they would progress with the light. And right now, I'm tired of what seems to be the, the shadow of darkness kind of just moving its ground on light. But see, whenever there's light, the darkness is what? Flees. It can't stay. You turn a flashlight on in a dark room, wherever it's pointed, it's not dark. Light overpowers darkness. So I didn't want to write all this stuff down. But I just, I've had this, and I, I just, I'm going to share a few things because of what, we're, what we've, what seems to be the theme here this, this week is about the church being bold and uh, letting the things of God become normal where they, it seems like they haven't been normal. So, I had did a little church growth study lookup, not really a study, but I just wanted to see what the language was that I had been hearing and stuff. And so apparently church growth type of, there's all types of different names for it and stuff. I didn't focus long on it, but I was like just reading a little bit and I'm like, oh, okay. I, can, I wanted to see what my friend was going through and why he got out and some of the stuff that he was saying. I would just do my own little thing. Uh, and, and it's a pitch on how to grow your church. It's a pitch. Uh, let me just read a little bit of this paragraph, because you can look it up. I, I, no names, please, whatever. I, I don't even know who this is. It doesn't matter. There's tons of them, I think. As a ministry leader, you know how important it is to increase your church growth. As growth means more people are being reached with your message. That's why it's crucial to be able to extend your reach while also serving your current congregants. The problem is that over the years, you've found it more difficult to balance connecting and engaging with people. I'm kind of being sarcastic right now, just for effect. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, and just so you know, I'm not in agreement until I get over into this. All right. Uh, I'll turn my light up a little bit. Uh, encourage, let's see, reach the more difficult balance, balancing, engaging with people, also growing your ministry. You want to reach those who are seeking. You know it's important to encourage involvement. But you also understand the effort that is needed to further your reach through marketing. Okay. I'm still looking for, for gospel or Jesus in this article. I'm just saying. Uh, as a result, you become discouraged. You need a marketing plan. What is this, the founder? Uh, <laughs> same way? I just dated myself. I think I was, I don't even know where it went. Maybe it still exists. As a result, you become discouraged. There's that word discouraged again. And, and anyway, it just goes on about like, it's just pitchy, right? Uh, and then there's some highlights. Why marketing is an essential part of fueling church growth. And it goes on and it talks about some other. You're, you're having a deep desire to reach more people, ultimately a greater experience uh, for church growth for the future, but you don't understand the needs within the church today. You don't understand the needs of running a church. You're probably not in, supposed to be in ministry. I mean, how is a marketing group going to tell you and, and give you a rightly divided discernment of what this means? That's a business model. I, I'm just going to have to try to tear the whole thing down myself, I guess. Here's three highlights. How to boost attendance, which I'm going to show you how to in the scripture. You don't need this, this team. How can we increase member engagement? Like people actually want to be there and do stuff. Okay, I don't know. But I mean, like engaging in with the church, if you're in the right place, you want to be there. You don't have to entice, entice anybody to be there. You don't need somebody to come up with a, a five-point plan of how people are going to show up and want to do stuff. I was always taught that if you're called to ministry, you pray and the Lord shows you. And then how can we grow our donation base so that we can, and they make it sound real good, so that we can greater serve. I mean, he's been explaining it all week before service. That's a spiritual law. You don't need this gimmicky, pitchy stuff. Uh, let's just see if there's another good one here to reach. Or I mean to read. Oh, what makes a church grow? Biblical teaching. All right, I'll give a pass on that one. An outward focus. I want to reach the lost. A strong vision or mission. Good. Where the most common answers in the June Evangelical Leader Survey says uh, churches must have a dynamic pastor or an engaging worship band or the best technology for them to grow. I won't say who said it because I don't even know who it is. But it doesn't even matter. Uh, this is so contradictive to the scripture. I'm going to go through it tonight. I'm not trying to be a downer. What 
I just don't like fake stuff. I've seen a lot of people get hurt. And uh, I've seen a lot of people need what Courtney was preaching about today. I thank God for Jeremy and Sarah Pearson's dead time. Um, and actually, we got to spend two and a half years with them. We thought we were going to be with them forever. God had other plans. Yeah, he does that, right? Uh, but but uh, wonderful. I can remember when we first got out there, he, he started to minister to, to the families and, and team that, that was coming out there. And he was talking about how to grow the church. Not, not one article pulled up, not, not one pamphlet. That man of God sat down with this book and he went through scripture after scripture after scripture a couple of books on how we're going to grow this church. And I was like, what are all those organizations getting paid for? I mean, it's all right here. Uh, if I'm a ruffler, if I'm a ruffle, uh, a feather ruffler, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm just wanting to tell the truth. Uh, so, uh, church growth. This, and okay, go to Isaiah. I wasn't going to go here. Go to Isaiah chapter fifty-six, I think, because this is what it reminds me of. I this, I read this scripture a uh, long time ago, and it just—I mean—it just stuck out to me. And for years, I'm like, man. What is this? Uh, verse 10. And uh, verse 10 and 11. And there's a little subtitle. Huh? I'm in the New King James. Isaiah chapter 56, uh, verse 10. And my, my Bible is a, um, it's the New King James. It's, it's probably a, a yeah, Thomas Nelson, 1798. So it's old enough to still be true. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I haven't messed with the translation too much, I don't think. So it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> 1798. It has a little, little, you know, subtitle. Israel's Irresponsible Leaders. Uh, verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They're all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are, verse 11, yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his own territory. What I see there is a minister that's getting called out by the prophet. And he's saying, they're not paying attention to the sheepfold the Lord has entrusted them with. It's like they're blind. And they're, 
you know, there's sheepdogs that work with a shepherd. That sheepdog's job uh, is able to, they have, they have a great sense of smell that although they might not see a wolf, a wolf might be in sheep's clothing, they know that's a wolf, even though it looks like a sheep. They, they can smell it. They can see it. They know it. I think today we would call it discernment on how to protect your church. Because what Courtney was telling you today about people's assignments that are in the opposite side, it's, it's true. It happens. Especially against ministers. And what does it do? It makes the church look foolish. It makes the world say, see, there it is again. See, there it is again. See, there it is again. And people are getting hurt. And the church is growing. Why? Why, why, do, why is the church growth movement, is what I, that's another thing I heard. It was called the, the church growth movement. Um, it is working. But I don't think that it, it goes beyond what we would probably consider uh, confession, Hill Mary's, like tradition. Let's just go through the motions. Why? Where's the power? I, I read through that article, just skimmed through it and everything. I didn't hear one word about Jesus, gospel. I didn't hear one word about uh, laying hands on the sick to grow your church. I didn't hear one word about people actually falling in love with God. I heard somebody had a plan for the people that are running this establishment to have more people come and give them stuff, and they're blind. Each to one of his own territory. They, they want gain from their own territory. I see that as a church that they just want to take, take, take for them from their territory. Ministry is service. It's to give. You don't take, you give. Ministers give. You know, the talents, the five, the two, the one. God knows what each individual can handle. Their growth process. We forget, I think we forget sometimes when we're reading the Bible that he was already here, even though we might be right here because he was already way over here, but he's, there's, time doesn't exist for him. So he knows where I'm at in 10 years from now. And he knows how obedient or non-obedient, disobedient that I've been and, and where the growth that I will have, period. There's no perfect man. Nobody is above deception, though. Okay, so let me just say this for anybody. It's like, oh, I'm part of church uh, track, growth, whatever the terms are. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to break somebody down. I'm not trying to, what I'm trying to say is this. Nobody's above deception. I, I'm sure that there are some good programs out there that are actually legit. 
But I know what my buddy told me, and then I know what I've been hearing about some of these things. And I'm like, then I look at the roots that I came from and what I had been taught and continually taught. And the things that we're seeing that I, that I can read and see and hear that I've been commissioned to do. But I can't find that in, in church growth. Whatever it is, I can't find it. I haven't heard about it. I haven't seen anything that I've looked up. All I've seen is a business model. Uh, it's going to get more fun in here in a little bit. Uh there's this term. I don't know if somebody used it this week or not. I, I don't, I just heard it. I don't know what it is. I don't focus on negative stuff. You know, it's, I heard this term a long time ago. Let's see, I think it's the secret service that is in charge of uh, the, the currency. And um, they don't study counterfeit bills. They don't look at any of them. They study real bills, real notes, so much so that they can spot a counterfeit. I mean, lickety-split. Just, they can spot. That's a fake bill. Test it. Yeah, I told you it was fake. They can see it. I mean, if the Secret Service isn't blind to those bills and they can spot them, we, the shepherd's got to be able, you know. Deconstructionism. Definition. This, I just grabbed this definition off the internet. A philosophical theory of criticism, usually of literature or film, that seeks to expose deep-seated contradictions in a work by delving below its surface meaning. Just remember this as I'm talking. Uh, this is foolishness. To those that are perishing. That's 1 Corinthians. I believe it's chapter 1 verse 18. It don't jive anyway with the world. Just remember that. We'll come back to it. Okay, then there's the deconstructionism theory. See, this is happening not just... It's happening all over the planet. With every historical type of living. Believer or non-believer. You change... The language, you change the culture, you change the people. And it's the setup for the age that we're in, end times. It's the setup for one world and everybody submissive to one leader. Uh, the, the theory involves the close reading of texts in order to demonstrate that any given text has ear. Um, irreconcilable blah. maybe that's it I, maybe I spelled it wrong irreconcilable blah. say it again <laughs> whatever he said can we edit that <laughs> I'm just kidding I, I really can I'm good at phonics um, <laughs> contradictory meanings rather than being a unified logical whole that's the theory so you read the texts, and they're doing it 
so that they can find contradictory things within the text of a piece of information, a movement, whatever. So that they can, they, they can find disunity within it. And then here was an example that I found. Deconstruction is defined as a way of analyzing literature that assumes that text cannot have a fixed meaning. See, it's moving into the church. We have a fixed text meaning. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. We are in a different dispensation, which means his mercy is, is I mean, he, God honors free will. That's where we're at. We're under grace. He's not, judgment is not coming on anybody. Judgment comes if you don't judge yourself. And that's for a believer or non-believer. Those are the laws he put into place. Uh, it says, uh, an example would be reading a novel twice, 20 years apart, and seeing how it has a different meaning each time. Uh, with, this, with this novel, it's just a living book, it's not a novel. There's all different types of things in here. But they're all truth, and it's living. Now, one could argue and say, well, yeah, you're going to have different understanding if you read it 20 years apart. You're, that's just called uh, going from glory to glory and great, uh, faith to faith. It's more understanding. It doesn't change. What changes is your understanding of it, not a contradictory, a growth, a spiritual growth. Now, before Adam and Eve were created, we're going to get into the good stuff now. I just had to identify what this group and none of my friends, because in 1 John chapter 5, it talks about praying for believers, that they remain protected from deception, that they may remain protected from being pulled out. And the thing, that, the thing that stinks about it is that there are still going to be some that walk away. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I don't like it. I'm going to do everything that I can do to stop anybody from getting pulled away. Even if I have to be unpopular, I don't care. I'm going to do what God told me to do. Before Adam and Eve were created, God has three major generals that we know of in heaven. He had a country called heaven. Still there. Gabriel, who was in charge of communications. Michael, who's in charge of military activities. Lucifer, who's now the devil, who was in charge of fine arts. Now, every country has to have these three things. You've got to have the defense force. You've got to have communications with the leaders and, and, and different territories. And then the ministry of the culture. There's culture. Heritage. It's not a bad thing. Well, God has this, the country, heaven. And he has three ministers of government. 
he, he had three ministers of government. One in charge of military, that's Michael. One in charge of communications, Gabriel. And then another one in charge of what? Culture and fine arts. That was Lucifer. Here's the point. Uh, this is why nations are destroyed by culture. Lucifer was the general of the fine arts and the culture. He was that minister that kind of glorified the country of heaven. But he wanted the glory. He wanted the kingdom for himself. He wanted to even just, couldn't he have just said like, I think I'm just going to knock him off his throne and I want to sit there. He said, I'm going to go above your throne. And so nations are destroyed by culture. The devil's let loose on the earth. He knows the power of culture. Armies protect, communications relay information, but culture controls. How do you think that one-third of the angels followed Lucifer? Because culture is powerful, it influences people to go with the crowd. Nobody's above deception. Nobody, not anybody in this room, not anybody in this city, not anybody in this nation or on the planet. Nobody is above deception. But let me tell you this. There's one thing that will keep you from deception. You have to love the truth. Because the ones that miss it, the Bible says that they did not have the love of the truth in them that they might be saved. They weren't able to obtain it. They wouldn't receive it. They would receive the truth. Why? Hard-hearted. Pride. This has been going on forever. Every generation, there's always been leaders that rise up and say, we can do it better than God. The difference now, though, that Jesus came is that all judgment and sin, everything that comes with the curse was put on him. So we, we live in a hostile environment, but we're able to judge ourselves. We live in a hostile environment, but we're just here as ambassadors. We're on visit. We're on representation. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, uh, culture, it's powerful. It influences people to go with the crowd. So nations are destroyed by, by culture. Look at this. What did God the Father tell Jesus to ask him for in Psalm 2.8? Anybody remember? Nations. Psalm 2.8 says this. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Yeah, but, but Satan's the God of this, this world right now. Well, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, on scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Jesus is setting up the kingdom of his bride, the church, his ambassadors, us being in this world, but not of it. And there's a key, there's a key. It takes the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, there's no power. Jesus said, don't go do anything until you receive the power. I mean, until you receive the promise of the Father. Because in not many days from now, you're going to receive power from on high. Then you will go be my witnesses into Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But, but, but wait a minute, don't go say anything for me. Get back to Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem. They tarried there. They waited till they received the promise of the Father. They didn't know they were going to receive tongues. They were obeying orders. Whose orders? The Master's. The Lord's. You can only obey Jesus if He's your Lord. You can only have success with this word if it's Lord. A lot of people have made this word their Savior, but they never go over into Lordship, meaning I submit myself even when it doesn't feel good. And what happens is, what Paul talks about to the church at Corinth, who saw amazing signs, wonders, and miracles, that they were being a carnal bunch. And he said, let me tell you guys something. Because he started that church. I want to tell you guys something. Uh, here's why some of you are weak, you're sickly, and you're even dying prematurely. It's because of how you're treating one another. You're, you're, you're not, yeah, you're not discerning the body properly. You're, you're not, you, things are out of order. I mean, think about some of the stuff that he addresses. Uh, guys, the, the man with his stepmom, really? I've already given his flesh up to the devil that he might be saved on the day of the Lord. Think about what that just what I just said, what Paul said, I've already given up his flesh to the devil for destruction. That, that would have been a guy that would have died prematurely. But why would he give his flesh up to the devil? So that he could be saved on the day of the Lord. That, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, right? In other words, Paul's saying, if you guys are this stupid, uh, that guy's got to be real stupid. He doesn't have revelation. And his sin is going to judge him if he doesn't judge himself. And you guys are enabling it. Get him out so that he might be saved. Get him out. He might come back. He might not. Guess what, though? He did. He came back. Instead of telling people, hey, that's, listen, we love you, 
But according to this lordship that we follow, that is not acceptable. I'm sorry. You're not suspended for six months. You're suspended until you change. Or you can't come back. What happened to that? I didn't even tell a story on a church. I told a story from the Bible. I'm not gossiping. I'm teaching. It's the craziest thing. First uh, John 3, 8. For this reason, the Son of Man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Satan, our great adversary, he roams around like, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I believe. Whom he may. Courtney's title today was pushback, resistance. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Um, I think a lot of believers think that resistance is ignoring. Like, oh, I won't do it. I'm being tempted by the devil. Oh, man, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. That's not resistance. Uh, if Elijah came up here and, and I was like, uh, actually, let's just go ahead and demonstrate. Come here. So if I was like, all right, Elijah's my buddy, and I, I'm just like, hey, and I'm like, I push him, he goes back. Now, now you know it's coming. Resist me. Doesn't, doesn't go nowhere. There, there's an equal force back. Resisting the enemy, resisting the devil, is not ignoring him. It's stepping into your place of authority. I have given you all authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Nothing's going to hurt you. You're representing me. That's what Jesus said. I'm giving you this authority. In fact, like a roaring lion, if you know how they hunt, you know, they're, all, they're all quiet, relax. Is, is what happens with a lot of believers. If they would just say, oh, I just stay put. I'm not going to, you know. But they hear, they move, and they take off running. Boom, boom. Here comes the lions. That's how they find their prey, because they run from them. They hear it. They take off running. They get tracked down. We are not to run from the devil. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What's the word say? What did Jesus say? On any struggle that you have, anything that's coming against us, here's the problem. If you don't have the power source, the Holy Spirit. Yes, he'll tell you what to do, but if you don't have the faith to actually do it, day of Pentecost, hello. Paul, Acts chapter 19, 
Verse 1, Paul was going through. He came amongst some believers. He called them believers. He said, hey, uh, you guys been baptized with the Holy Spirit? What? We haven't even heard there be a Holy Spirit. There's 12, 12 of them. He said, uh, we haven't even... We, we, we haven't even heard there be a Holy Spirit. What, what do you mean? Scholars will say that this is 25 to 50 years after the day of Pentecost. Lost in translation within 25 to 50 years. Now, how far have we been removed? Now it's become weird. Now, if you want to grow your church, Holy Spirit ain't mentioned. It's not involved. That's what I've heard. That's what I've seen. It's like, shh, put it over there. Put the, whole, put the whole thing that actually keeps you in service to people. Keep the whole thing that helps the shepherd protect his people. Keep the whole thing that gives you power to tread on scorpions and, and, and serpents to override... Uh, uh, Step over adversity to rise above any temptation that comes, anything deadly. Uh, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if he's not able to come upon you to help, you might know a ton of scriptures. But if, you're not, if you don't have the power source... There's a reason why Jesus said to wait. One of the things that I don't understand is why has it been such a confusing thing to minister the Holy Spirit? Because when Paul asked them that, they were believers. So just listen, if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and received your heavenly language, you're heaven bound. If you love the Lord, you called on you're heaven. He called them believers. They're heaven bound. All right. So don't you don't have to get all worried. But here's the point. He said, well, he wanted to make sure. What did you believe on? Onto what baptism? Well, John the Baptist baptism. Right. You gave your life to the Lord. You believed on the Christ, Jesus. That's right. But then he laid hands on them. And they received with this what 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 the uh, disciples, the 120 did on the day of Pentecost, and they began to prophesy, pray in tongues, magnify, glorify God right then and there. And there was 12 of them. So if it happened in this book, we know it's happening now. But we can see the, 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 the strategy of the enemy holding the church at bay. It's just scary. It's like a standoff. Like they might be able to see that, that you have Jesus, but they know you can't do anything. So you just stand there and do nothing. And then they just stand there and do nothing. And guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing gets accomplished. And it's like, I got Jesus. Is, is that problem going to get out of my way? Not until you do something about it. Well, I don't know how to. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need your prayer language. Why? Because when you pray in an unknown tongue, 
You don't pray unto men. You pray directly to the Father. Nothing can come against those prayers. It's supernatural. Remember, this is foolishness to those that are perishing. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Jesus, um, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And we know the heavens open up and the voice of the Lord speaks. This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. It says that the, the spirit descends down like a dove. And... Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. Then he starts his ministry. But he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. Comes back. You want to hear what his first message was? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news. Repentance is not a bad word. It's actually a gift. Repentance is not a bad word. It just simply means to turn away from what's wrong and move back in the right direction. It's a gift. We live a life of repentance. When you get off track, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that whoever goes to God and confesses his sin, God is just to forgive him and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. You're back on track. When God forgives, he blots out the trans uh, transgression for his own sake. He remembers it no more. You're not, like, we remember stuff. And we let the devil beat us up for it. The major problem with that is that when we keep missing it in the same area, um, we, we leave an open door for the enemy to just say, like, hey, but here, here's the truth of the matter. If you put your faith on that scripture, no, this is what the Bible says. I don't care how many times I did it. God is, he, he, he told man to forgive in one day, seven times 70. He's not going to ask me, to, I'm not above my master. He's not going to ask me to do something that he wouldn't do. Like in a 16-hour day, that's like a little under two minutes. You'd have to be forgiving somebody. You'd have to be a pretty shady guy. To need forgiveness every two minutes. You know what I'm saying? There's a few of them out there and they walk like this. I'm kidding. 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 Um, <laughs> I had a Coke Zero before I came here and it was like, give me a little hyper. Um, Jesus said, uh, repent. And believe the gospel. Gospel, we know, means good news. Believe the good news. Okay, repent and believe good news. Repent and believe good news. All right? People don't like to hear that they have to change in order to hear and receive the good news. The good news is, hey, 
unless you come to me and bow your knee and confess, believing in your heart that I came, took your place, went into the grave, and on the third day arose from the dead, if you don't believe that and confess it, uh, there's some bad news. You have eternal damnation, which is not death. It's eternal separation from God, which is hell. Nobody wants to talk about hell. It's a real place. It wasn't made for human beings. A lot of people say, like, well, why would God even do that? He's a good God and all that. He is a good God. He's not sending anybody there. It's a choice. Here's the thing. The argument with why would God do this and why would he do that and why, does, and why don't you just actually sit and listen and let the Holy Spirit start to soften your heart because his job is to convict the world. And maybe you've had a parent, maybe you've had a grandparent, maybe you've had a neighbor, maybe you've had somebody just come and cram the gospel down your throat and really make you feel like, you know, just miserable and stuff. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't even do that. Some people get a little overzealous. They drink a little bit too much espresso. Um, forgive that person. Give it another chance. Because Jesus' way is its easy. It's light. It's not hard. Once you will surrender to that voice of conviction, which brings and tells your heart, it's not here, He convicts the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Meaning, hey, what you're doing, it's sin against God. Uh, the right thing to do is to change it. Why? So you don't go through judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. A lot of times, we don't give him enough credit. We try to do that. You can't. Just keep loving on people and give them the message. Protect them from danger. Don't be afraid to call things out. Um, it's better if you have a relationship with people. But, I mean, you should have place if you're going to call somebody out. You should have place. Um, but when there's things that are directly going against the church, I look at it like this. If I'm going to live my life for God, and I can see groups of things happening, that bothers my conscience. Like, well, I'm in ministry. God has called me to ministry. I see him work through the ministry that he's called us to. How come everybody's all right with that? Well, you don't want to judge anybody. You don't. Listen, I didn't judge anybody. I just told you what the group looks like to help grow a church. Now, I'm going to show you how the church actually grew in Acts. Look at this. Chapter, chapter 2. Well, they all got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's in chapter 1. You can go back and read it, highlight you need to. The Holy Spirit in, verse, or in chapter, chapter 1 into chapter 2, they get filled. With the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. 
Now, devout men. This is in verse 5. From every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are, all, are not all of these that we hear Galileans? But we hear them speak in our language? And so people would be like, well, that's, that's the gift of tongues. No, it's not. Because you go down a few lines, and it says, then there were other mockers there saying that they're drunk. They heard the tongue. They heard the da-da-da, however people do it. That's not mine, but I'm just saying. They heard the, they heard the tongue. They didn't hear their own language. Why? Because they were hard-hearted. But the devout men, you know what a devout man is? So thankful I wrote the definition here. A devoted lifestyle of reverential attention to God in religious exercises and particularly in prayer. So all the devout men that are represented here, which is Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, I don't know if I'm saying all those right, Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans, Arabs, that they all heard in their own tongue, their own language, uh, the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking, saying they are full of new wine. And Peter said, now, we know this group thought that they were drunk because Peter addresses it. He said, uh, they're not drunk as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, I think that means it's what, nine o'clock? Um, I guess people didn't get drunk at nine o'clock back in that day. Or at least it wasn't common. In America, everything's common, I guess. Western culture. Uh, and he explains that this was prophesied. The Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh from the prophet Joel. And uh, then Peter gives a sermon. And he talks about the, crucifix, uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. I, I do want to read this scripture in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, uh, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then it goes into some prophecy things that David said. He goes on and continues his sermon. Men and brethren, let me speak freely. He gives them some information. Resurrection of Jesus. He's pouring it out. Obviously, this gripped them. Why? Because Peter was witnessing after he had the Holy Spirit baptism. He had the power to witness. He said... Uh, in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, 
Men and brethren, what shall we do? I hear what you're saying. What do we got to do? I want what you're saying. I know I need it. Why? Because as Peter was giving the message, the Holy Spirit was convicting the world of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And they adhered to it because they were devout men, but they didn't understand they needed this Savior of Jesus. What do we got to do? Peter said to them, repent. That's the first message Jesus gave. That's the first criteria, repent. Oh gosh, there's that word again. It's not a bad word. You just simply have to change. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. How many does the Lord call? Everybody. Second Peter chapter 3. I think it's verse 8 or 9. God is not slack concerning his gift to come get his people, but he is long-suffering. He's being patient for our sakes. He's not willing that any should perish. There has to be a clue here. Uh, my Bible says uh, right after that, a little subtitle, A Vital Church Grows. I feel like this is a kid's Bible right now. A vital church grows. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them. He affirmed them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I'm telling you the truth. They, they took it as truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was convicting them. I know what he's saying. I believe what he's saying. I, I, don't, I don't get it all, but I believe it. Because it's in your heart. The mind is renewed after. Be not conformed to the patterns and ways of this world, but be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewed to what? What's in your heart? Well, how do, you, how do you know what's in your heart is good? Right here. You cross-reference a rightly divided word. It's not hard. It's not hard to get the truth. It might be hard to obey the truth at times. It's not hard to get it, unless you're going to places that don't give it. You know the story of the, the, the ten virgins with the oil lamps? 50% have oil. 50% are lazy. Waiting around. They're all waiting for the bridegroom. Uh, the five that don't have the oil, I believe that's representative of being ready for the Lord's return. Because he's coming back looking for faith. If you don't have faith on his return, you ain't going. He's looking for faith. How do you know if you have faith? Because faith without is non-existent. It's dead. The five without the oil... They didn't have faith. They were playing around. 
Well, then when they decided to maybe start, oh, we're going to make our way to go do something, the bridegroom came and locked the door. Let us in. Or they actually first tried to get some from the other five. And they're like, no, it no, we might run out for ourselves. Like, you got to get your own. In other words, you have to get your own relationship. Prepare yourself and be ready for when he comes. Because I can't take you. You only get to the Father through him. Now, I know a lot of people think they can take, you know, a lot of people think that they're like God. They're not. It's simple. Teach the word. Always point to Jesus. Always point to Jesus. Present the Holy Spirit so that people can live a victorious life. You need it. Jesus said it. Paul reaffirmed it 25 to 50 years later. This is vital. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is vital to our understanding. And yet, there's a movement I hear is going on where the Holy Spirit is not a, it's not a deal. What is that? No, it is a deal. It is the deal. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, listen, you have a loved one or you've never been baptized, you, you die, you go to heaven if you've called on the name of the Lord. So don't misquote me. I know I take a lot of long pauses, so this could be really taken out of context. But I'll just, I'll tell on you. <laughs> um, I've got like a couple witnesses. Uh, it, honestly, so, but the point is this. Satan doesn't want you baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father, and not many days from now you'll receive power from on high. I believe that the Holy Spirit witnesses you to receive Jesus and make him Lord and Savior. You have the scripture. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit then empowers you by the strong witness and actually lets you access the well. Because he said, rivers of living water would flow out of you. How is that going to flow out of you if it doesn't dwell in you and come upon you? That's the Holy Spirit. And what's, what have you been saying? Man, I, I should have wrote it down. I knew I wanted to say this. But you've been saying it at the end of every night, every day. Uh, the Spirit is in you for your sake. He comes upon you for somebody else. That's the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon people to help others. And you use the best gift, whatever one's necessary, which one's needed. Um, so after Peter talks about it and he says, it's a perverse generation. What does perverted mean? It just perverted means that something that is supposed to be this way is changed a little bit. That's it. A lot of people think, oh, don't use that word. Okay, yeah. A lot of things are perverted and made worse and worse and worse and worse. Hey, we're in the world, but we're not of it. We don't have to be afraid of it. We won't. We're going to have boldness. Uh, there was 3,000 of them added to them that day. So the first way the church grew was Peter, of all people, 
preach the gospel. He said, you got to repent. And you need to receive Jesus. Be baptized. Be immersed into the family of God. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's promised to you and your children. That was the first way the church grew. Now check this out. He goes over into chapter 3. As they're walking into, they're walking to the temple for the hour of prayer, a certain man that was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go in to the temple, asked for alms. There's a guy there, he's, he can't work. He's begging. And Peter... <laughs> Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. The guy went in, running, jumping, leaping, like a ballerina. Uh, but look how Peter did that. He said, get up and rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. If we're going to see the works of Jesus, we have to do them the way that he did them. Do you know where Peter saw this before? Peter saw Jesus do this exact same move with his mother-in-law. When she laid sick with a high fever or a a great fever. Jesus went in. It's in the Synopsis Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or and Luke. One of them, one, I can't remember which one, says that he grabbed her by her hand. One says that he spoke. I think another one says he did both. But that was Peter's mother-in-law. And Jesus made an impression on him. How do we do what, what Jesus said? Because he did tell us. He said, he who believes on me and the works that I do, he shall do also. And even greater works than these because I go unto my father. John chapter 14 verse 12. Jesus said we would do it. How did he do them? Well, how do we know how to do them? Right here. How do we grow the church? Right here. What do people need? Right here. You can't force people to take it. But man, we should be ready. We have the answer. I have found stepping out in faith and seeking the Lord to have understanding in certain areas for the ministry. That This is something that was put in my heart. God put it there because it glorifies him. And I will not prostitute it. What I mean by that is I'm not going to use it for self-gain. I'm not going to use it to glorify myself. Got to love the truth more than anything. I will not be deceived. I got a good group around me that will not allow it. Right? We had a conversation before, didn't we? Uh, the works, the church, the body, 
the triumphant church, revival. Everything that this world is crying out for, we have. Thank you for listening to the Greater Than Podcast. To find out more, visit our website at merleministries.com.